Welcome back to the Maroon Weekly. I'm your host, Ram, along with my co-hosts, Matthew and Ruth. It is the end of fourth week. Uh, we are moving on into fifth week, and we have a half and half split for you today of fun stories and, I guess, dry stories. Uh, Ruth, you want to start us off? Sure. So I am going to recap the new PhD policy introduced earlier this month by Provost Daniel Deermeyer, who announced that the university would be introducing major changes to the doctoral education programs. The changes will include enrollment caps and guaranteed funding for the entire duration of PhD programs. As a result of this policy, graduate student populations in the social sciences and humanities are expected to shrink. One tenured professor indicated that the humanities division is expected to contract by about 25%. These caps will leave faculty members with the choice of moving students through programs more quickly or admitting fewer students. Reduced time in the program will have to reduce class time, teaching time, or dissertation work for the students. This also could encourage departments to take fewer risks in PhD candidate recruitment with fewer candidates from lesser known schools or interdisciplinary candidates. Programs could also be forced to decrease time spent on foundational coursework. With less time to devote to teaching specialized skills, candidates may have to pursue master's degrees before applying. Changes to the doctoral program also plan to decouple time spent teaching with money earned through the Graduate Aid Initiative financial system. Departments will therefore have to restructure teaching requirements. If departments do decrease teaching obligations, professors may instead spend more time teaching and grading, leaving less time for their own research. These changes are based upon recommendations made by the report of the Committee on Graduate Education, including faculty members and graduate students. But several faculty members have expressed frustration over the lack of input from the Council of the University Senate. While we're on the topic of PhD, Matthew, you have something about a PhD student who made a recent intriguing discovery, right? Yeah. So one of our students, a fifth-year PhD student in the Department of Chemistry named Simone Ronch, Ranch, I am probably mispronouncing that, who recently was one of the people, along with five other co-authors and associate professor Brian Dickinson, who came out with this article about a breakthrough in gene therapy. So gene therapy in general is a medical technique where healthy genes are inserted into a person's DNA in the event that they may have or are at risk of having a genetic mutation that could cause a disease. Normally, when this happens, it can be a little bit dangerous in the long term because what you are doing is directly modifying someone's DNA. But this technique that they have come up with called the CRISPR-Cas-inspired RNA targeting system, or CERTs for short, targets RNA instead. If DNA is the original instructions for the cells, then RNA is instead the messengers and those instructions being sent out. So by targeting these instead, the hope is that if the, if the uh, treatment goes wrong, then it's possible to kind of roll that back and easily remove it so that it's almost like it never happened. In addition, whereas CRISPR-Cas9 uses the bacterial protein Cas9 to chop up the DNA at a specific spot so more DNA can be added or removed, the CERTs instead uses a protein that's made from the human genome. So it's easier to develop because it's not from a bacterial gene, uh, protein, and it's also much smaller, so it's much easier to deliver. And then I'd like to cover our last story relating to the topic of academic research, which has to do with exoplanets. So scientists from the University of Chicago installed an exoplanet searching instrument to the Gemini Observatory on Mauna Kea in Hawaii last month. 
The instrument, which is dubbed Maroon X, is able to detect Earth-like planets by observing any changes in the motion of stars caused by the gravitational tugs of these exoplanets. How long did it take to make this? So the construction of the instrument began six months ago, but part of the difficulty associated with it was that its pieces had to be individually disassembled and carried to the top of Mauna Kea Summit, which is over 14,000 feet uh, in elevation. And the reason why exoplanet instruments are built on such high uh, locations is because the lack of human air pollution up there. It's, it's easier for the instruments to actually detect the exoplanets because there's not this layer of pollution in between the lens of the instrument and the thing that it's trying to observe. Were there any unintended consequences of this instrument? So there were no direct problems with Maroon X per se, but thousands of protesters gathered near the Mauna Kea access road to protest the construction of the 30-meter telescope, which would be the largest telescope in the world after its construction is completed. And they argued that the 30-meter telescope, TMT for short, would disrupt the ecosystem and trespass over native Hawaiian land. Did the university astrophysics professors have anything to say about the protests with the telescopes? Yeah, so Jacob Bean, associate professor of astronomy and astrophysics, supports the TMT and believes that many of the protest theories have been misinformed. He said, quote, the protest is spreading some disinformation and there's an element of demagoguery and populism at work here. For example, it's been claimed that the environmental impact on the summit is affecting the water table, which is the topmost part of the soil that absorbs precipitation, which is demonstrably untrue. There's also been claims that these things are going to be powered by nuclear reactors, which is crazy, end quote. So now that we covered all of those drier stories, I guess, let's move on to some more fun stories that happened this week. Uh, Ruth, you want to tell us about squirrels? Sure. So... There are tons of squirrels all over campus. You've probably seen them on in trash cans, in trees, running around in front of people's feet. Uh, but some students around campus have seen squirrels eating an array of some wild things, such as an entire banana, an entire bagel, donuts, a churro, anything you can think of. Some student has seen a squirrel eating it. They're like the rats of the New York subways. <laughs> Actually, a- except much cuter. Outside my house, Kenwood House in South, there's a, this trash can right in front of our like glass window, whatever door area. Yeah, yeah. And and in that trash can, we like always see this. We think it's living in the trash can. It just like stays <laughs> in the trash can. Yeah. Like, look at the trash can. Yeah, the squirrels ninety nine percent certain to be yeah. there. No, the squirrels like to hang around trash cans. Same in BJ as well. According to one of the students, uh, a squirrel actually came up to them and took an apple core right out of their hand. Dang, okay. Those are some bold squirrels. Well, uh, I I read this quote somewhere. I think it it was on one of the UChicago pages, maybe overheard at UChicago or something. And it said, uh, yeah, the squirrels at the University of Chicago are more aggressive than the guys and cuter than the girls. That's what it said. (laughs) Youch. Yeah. Just throwing some fire. All right, moving away from squirrels, but still related to on-campus stuff. Matthew, you got a story about Kathy, right? Yeah, so keeping on of our food theming, um, as many people know, we, we often complain, gripe, and moan about the meal plans and how kind of overpriced they are. And many students feel like, you know, if I'm going to pay this much money just to get inside the dining hall, I'm going to take advantage of it. So as many people have either heard of or most likely know someone or have done this themselves. Um, (laughs) 
there is, it is not as hard as some may think to take stuff from the dining hall. And this has been happening more and more frequently to the point where we've actually had the staff at the dining commons kind of mention this. One, one cashier at Baker's Dining Commons said, open quote, we're a buffet staff, so we don't allow anyone to take any food, take out any food just for certain reasons. We don't want anything to happen when people leave, so we just want everybody to come in and enjoy their food here at Baker Dining Commons, end quote. So there, there have been some pretty, pretty fun quotations that we've gotten from certain students about what they have stolen. Yeah, yeah, Ranging from 10 to 15 pyramids at once in the form of a pyramid, uh, <laughs> whole wire baskets of napkins, table trifolds, loaves of bread, a, gar- a jar of goldfish, some of the decorative squashes you'll see there, uh, an entire jar of chopsticks. And one particularly bold third year even said that when he moved off campus and they needed dishware, they just went to their dining hall and, like, took some. <laughs> so if you're ever wondering why we're running low, here you go. Dang. And actually, like, it's gotten so bad to the point where Kathy has actually put up signs that say, guys, don't take stuff out of the dining hall. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we have hot chocolate packets, so, like... That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely I know some people who took out enough sugar, packet by packet, to make a cookie recipe. So, That's all stripes. Yes. The only time I've seen people, like, cram food into Tupperware in a very, like, hurried, non-discreet manner was when Humans vs. Zombies was going on, and they only had five minutes to, like, get from the safe location to to Kathy and back. So what they did was they just brought a bunch of Tupperware, just crammed a bunch of pizzas in there, <laughs> and then just ran all the way back. It was actually pretty In front of the staff, just like right there. Yeah, it's pretty entertaining to yeah, watch. Pretty <laughs> impressive. As always, Human vs. Zombies takes the cake for entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, last story. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I don't know why you wouldn't know this, but this coming Thursday is Halloween. And we just, because we are probably not going to do a separate podcast concerning Halloween, we just wanted to talk about it really quick with the weekly and talk about our plans with this spooky celebration. So I don't know about you guys, but in BJ, we have a costume contest amongst the different houses where we basically try and get as many members of our house to dress up in a particular theme. And then there are judges who come and judge us. And also kids from the south side come in to our dorms and trick-or-treat, which is pretty fun. Our theme this year is ghosts, which I think you might you may think that it's super basic, but we're taking it, we're making it very, uh, very creative. So we're doing like oh my. ghost of opportunity costs. <laughs> and then we're gonna we're gonna have like someone wear a white sheet and put the core on top oh, of no. the white no. sheet. The opportunity cost of any of the classes you could have taken had it not been for the core. <laughs> oh, my. That's not my idea, by the way, but it's... Hey, it's creative. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's what our house has come up with. What about you guys? What are you up to? My house, personally, um, I think there is actually a, a South or some Halloween costume that we could participate in, but I'm not really too interested in that right now. <laughs> um, our, our house, um, instead, what we're doing is kind of our own trick-or-treating thing where we have certain people volunteer to stay in their rooms with candy and then other people can go around and like knock on people's doors and get candy from them so that sounds fun yeah that, that does sound pretty dope so yeah um i don't know if costumes are mandatory or not but 
just in case, you know, got to get those backup ideas. <laughs> yeah, ready. yeah, yeah, for sure. I live off campus, so uh, I'm not in the house anymore, um, but I do have, I know a couple friends who are throwing Halloween parties, and also a group of my friends is thinking of dressing up as a Squirtle squad, where everybody in the group is some form of Squirtle. That's actually so. amazing. Nice. <laughs> Wait, what's, the, what's between Squirtle and Blastoise? War Turtle. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I've just exposed myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, that's all we have for you guys this week. Uh, as always, I'm Rom. I'm Matthew. And I'm Ruth. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our episode. Make sure to follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you